Welcome to Just Us and the Climate, a podcast by the Climate Justice Coalition, where we bring climate change back down to earth and show how it's not only a crisis, but an opportunity to build a better, more just world. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Just Us and the Climate. Uh, it's Alex Lenferner here, your host for this episode. I am the General Secretary of the Climate Justice Coalition. And I'm very excited about this particular episode, which we are calling Eco-Socialism in Our Lifetimes. Our wonderful um, guest today is Lebohang Mulaisi, and uh, she is wearing many hats, so I'm going to try fit this into this introduction. Um, she is Labor Market Policy Coordinator at the Congress of South African Trade Unions, or COSATU, um, and there she coordinates and implements labor market policy as well as the just transition to a low-carbon economy. She's also a member of the National Economic Development and Labor Council's Executive Committee, or NEDLAC, and also is a commissioner on the Presidential Climate Change Coordinating Commission. In addition to that, she was appointed to the National Development Agency Board by President Ramaphosa in 2021. And on top of all of that, um, Lebohang is somehow pursuing a PhD in <laughs> economics at the University of Johannesburg. So I guess the first question is, when do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I don't sleep. So on top of all of that, I'm someone's mother. Somebody was crazy enough to make me their wife. So mm. I literally do like a lot of napping. <laughs> and that's and that's how my life has kind of like worked out ever since. But it works well all together and it's all somewhat interlinked. So mm. by doing one, you're doing three other things, right. if it makes sense. So... It works out. That makes sense. Um, and it seems like you've maybe mastered the art of finding sleep where you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one thing I also forgot to mention in all of this is that you are still in the category of youth in South Africa. Yep. A, a generous category, but still within it nonetheless. Yeah? Oh. Edging towards the edge, I but still within it somehow. <laughs> I'm in my last few months of it. so <laughs> It's a weird place. It's a weird place. You're in that transition. Um, maybe certain youth leagues will still allow you to be part of it for a you few years to come. You know what? <laughs> we must look into that. We should. <laughs> anyway, so speaking about you personally, I'm also very curious to know about how you got involved in climate justice and working on that. I mean, mm -hmm. both in your sort of personal journey, but yeah. then in terms of your work within Kasatu. Mm -hmm. And of course, Kasatu is, you know, the, one of the biggest, the biggest trade union federation. And so its voice when it comes to climate change and a just transition is vitally important. So how did you find yourself really in the heart of, of that? Completely by mistake. Mm. It was completely by mistake. So when I started in Kasatu, so like, I thought I was going to do trade union work. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be an activist for social policy. But at the time, the, the federation had decided that they were going to champion climate issues. I know mm. when COP was in South Africa, you know, um, COSATU was the leading force even way mm. back then. Um, but the, at the time when I entered COSATU, they were really thinking of taking this as a social policy issue to mm -hmm. really champion um, for workers. I didn't know what the, the connection was. 
does. But I, I think the way in which Kosatu has envisaged, you know, climate justice within their resolution and how it impacts on workers, workers' livelihoods, workers' wages, I thought, you know, this is really something that's important. It started off quite small mm-hmm. in the beginning, and it's it's kind of like snowballed into something real big. But I think, you know, the imperatives of climate justice are really at the heart of workers' struggles, which I think has been really groundbreaking and very motivational for me. Yeah, I think that's really important because often you have this sort of <laughs> false divide that's put in place. Look at this worker struggles and this climate yeah. change issues. But you're saying that it's really at the heart of, of at the heart struggles. of it. When you look at the vulnerability to environmental degradation, right? Mm. It's it's really the poor and workers who are going to feel it. Mm. When you look at what happened in terms of the Durban flood, it washed away factories. Mm. It washed away um, car plants. Toyota was the biggest one. Mm. Um, so that affects your ability to work. Mm. But secondly, if there is a devastating climatic event, it makes it difficult for us to look for food. So it creates inflationary pressure on mm. what we're able to buy. So it doesn't matter what a worker uh, demands in terms of a salary increase. If a climatic event mm-hmm. happens, it's going to erode your purchasing power. So that's at the heart yeah. of trade union struggles, wages and working conditions. And this is how climate change has a specific part to play in all of that. Right. Yeah. And that climate change inflation, I think, is really not appreciated mm. how much of a role it's playing, even mm. currently with our cost of living crisis, Absolutely. where we see the, the cost of food going up. We see so many of our essentials being really negatively impacted Mm -hmm. because, I mean, if you look across the world, there's so many extreme weather events impacting, right? Hmm, Very interesting. And I think, you know, a big part of what your work is is trying to point out is how climate change is cross-cutting across so many issues. And I think when we look at Kasatu's um, vision around what it means to tackle climate change. It's not only that climate change impacts everything, but in order to tackle the crisis, you need to transform everything. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and this is the, this is the area that we're kind of venturing into now mm. where, you know, for a very long time, ever since we adopted a resolution way back when in like 2009, we've mm-hmm. been talking about climate risks yeah. and I've been explaining how it refers to workers, right? But now we're dealing with transition risks. Mm. So your your ability to transition has a number of risks related to it. And the biggest one is in terms of industry. Mm. And will workers be able to adapt to whatever industries that are going to be established as we transition to a low carbon economy? I think this is the biggest thing that we're dealing with now. And this cuts across all sectors. I know people, there's a lot of, there's a lot of focus of mining and energy, but mm-hmm. it cuts across a lot of sectors, agriculture, tourism, mm. um, Transport, you know, so it, it cuts across a number of sectors. And I think this is the, this is the, the, the part that COSAT is really getting into mm-hmm. now in terms of how to assist workers, um, to transition and to mitigate some of those transition risks. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. And I think I'm sitting here with Kasatu's Just Transition Blueprint for Workers in front of me, which you guys released last year, which I think is a really helpful document for people who are interested to know what Kasatu's thinking is around what a just transition look like and how it covers sectors like, as you mentioned, energy, agriculture, and transport are the main focuses mm. here. And I think what's quite interesting is in that particular document, Kasatu is identifying that for them, when you think about the climate crisis, capitalism is the central cause of it. And that when we then think about what it means to ensure a just transition, 
this is not, I think, what a lot of corporations are doing, where you kind of make a little tweak here and there and maybe protect some workers here and there. But instead, this is a moment for what you guys are calling radical transformation of the economy towards eco-socialism. So maybe I can, drawing on that, ask you a few questions. So one is, why is capitalism at the root of the climate crisis? And then secondly, why does a just transition entail eco-socialism? Yeah. And maybe say a little bit about what that means. Yeah. That's okay. And this is where the corporates get very nervous. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our, our environment speaks for itself, mm. right? Capitalism as a structure deals with, you know, mass production, mm-hmm. overproduction even. Mm-hmm. It's based on the exploitation of labor mm. and the environment, um, most of the environmental degradation that we are currently seeing is as a result of capitalist accumulation. We have overused and abused our environment. Mm. When you look at acid water drainage in our rural communities, mm. when you look at what that means for those communities while fresh water is being used to mine commodities, it clearly points to the fact that the way in which we've conducted ourselves in industry has left a trail of destruction, Mm. particularly for communities. And workers are not spared. Um, The amount of um, health and safety that's just been eroded um, because we're trying to get to as much profit with as Mm. least amount of costs as possible because we must reap the rewards for shareholders. This is at the heart Mm. of the problem. So this idea that you just tweak a few things, (laughs) you just say, greenie here, we Mm. do this right (laughs) in terms of we recycle here and then you think Mm. you've solved the problem, you haven't. The idea is not to reproduce another form of capitalism. Mm. You'll see in our policy, we always talk about the notion of green capitalism. That's not how you solve the problem. Mm. You restructure the way in which you have relations with labor and you restructure the way that you have relations with the economy, the Mm. way you have relations with the environment, Mm. right? And I don't think you can do that through another through another venture of exploitation. I I just don't think it can work that way. Mm. The current capitalist society that we have has created all the negative externalities that we currently don't want. Environmental degradation, that's that's negative externalities that we don't cost Mm. into the final product that we get at the end of the process, right? The current social problems that we have, the inequalities, the mass unemployment. Mm. So so, so this system has not recreated the best. So why are we still hell-bent on making use of it? And that's why the case for eco-socialism, that there is a potential for us to do things differently, and we can do this through eco-socialism. So people think we're trying to take them to West Germany. (laughs) (laughs) In the 1970s, I think a former... CEO was talking about that. This <laughs> seemed a little outdated with his reference to with, comrades. Yes, that 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 hurt me. Yeah, <laughs> that hurt bad. <laughs> but people think that that's where we're trying to take them to, right? But mm. that's not the case. That's right. really not the case. It's how do we get to a society that can share more equally. Mm. with the people who reside in it. And I don't understand why that's such a difficult concept for people to understand. Mm. How do we use our current trajectory to a low-carbon economy to make sure that we share much better Mm. than we've been able to share previously? So getting rid of the 
or reducing our dependence mm. on coal-fired power stations, which require huge economies of scale. Mm. How do we break that up? Right. right through the use of wind um, or mm. solar farms, where we can get cooperatives with yeah. women or youths mm. that can participate in those activities. Right. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, there's an opportunity for economic activity that's more equal mm. and that's more democratic. Right. Why is that such a difficult thing for us to venture into? Because mm -hmm. now at the heart of it, we're able to share our means right. of production more equitably than we've done before. And mm -hmm. that's at the heart of eco-socialism, really. Right. We, we're sharing and we're reducing our carbon footprint. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, I think often these discussions at the public level, you don't go deep enough into them. And so there's just these learned boogeymen of socialism that come into people's minds when they first hear the term eco-socialism. And likewise, there's this claim that there's this mystical free market when people <laughs> hear about capitalism. But really what we have under capitalism is a market that's oriented and driven by profit and extraction. Absolutely. And in a sense, what eco-socialism is pushing is a society that's oriented more about the well-being of people, mm. of planet, and, and driving it by equity, not just by the dictates of profit. Mm. Right? But I think nonetheless, that's quite an abstract level, right? And so maybe to help us bring it down to earth a bit, which is the aim of this podcast is bringing climate change back down to earth, we could think about some of the top five demands that Kasatya has around building that sort of more eco-socialist future, um, because that maybe will help people to see why this is so attractive. Um, and I'm going to just go through them. And if you feel like chatting to, to them, um, that would be great. Um, so the first one is around employment creating and sustainable industrial policy. And I think we can hear, think about the fact that South Africa's industrial policy is currently oriented around the minerals, um, minerals energy complex, mm. right? Which is an incredibly extractive uh, system that exploits people and planet and makes us both one of the most polluting and most unequal um, countries in the world. So Kasatu is saying we need to transform our industrial policy. Can you say a little bit more about that? And it's, it's, it's transforming industrial policy to basically catch up towards what the trends are, especially when it comes to reducing our carbon footprint, mm -hmm. right? So there's a number of, there's a number of activities mm -hmm. that are going to present themselves as opportunities to South Africa. I mean, the budget speech um, makes the pronouncement of, um, putting solar roo rooftop solar mm. on on households, I, I still have a problem with that. But mm. there there's an opportunity there, even though I, I have a problem with who we've prioritized um, right. in the budget. But they, they, just the the middle income and yes. the wealthy corporates and oh, so on who gosh. are going to benefit the most. Right? Exactly, yeah. I, I have a fundamental problem with how 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 that has been structured. Mm. If you have enough money to put on a rooftop solar on your house, good for you. Right. <laughs> really good for you. I mm. I wish you all the best. The people that we should be helping yeah. uh, poor and indigent communities to put rooftop solar on their on yeah. their houses. But we should be linking that to a value chain in our society, right? Mm -hmm. We should be producing the components ourselves. Yeah. So all we've done through the announcement from Treasury is that we're going to get wonderful containers coming from China that right. are going to be delivering the components to us. We haven't created not a single job. Yeah. And that announcement from Treasury was the tax incentives yeah. for households and businesses to put in place solar, right? Um, yes. Yeah. But it doesn't come with any like 
if you're going to be doing this, you should be sourcing locally or anything Absolutely. Like that. Yeah. So that you, you benefit you, you benefit job creation. Yeah. You benefit business development yeah. in South Africa. I mean, these are the things the IDC should be assisting mm. businesses to be able to create mm. and develop. But but we didn't do that. And yeah. I think there's a there's a number of elements in our industrial policy that mm. really need to catch up to the developments that are happening to reduce our carbon footprint. Right. right. Yeah, and I think this is particularly important for workers because there's often this claim that renewable energy creates more jobs than fossil fuels, mm. which is true at a certain level. But a lot of those jobs are in the industrial policies, yeah. in the building, the manufacturing. Yeah. And that's something South Africa is way behind on. So this is kind of what you're trying to address. Absolutely. The, right. the jobs are there. And, you know, the problem is that we're making comparison between energy jobs. So mm. we're thinking somebody's going to go to a coal-fired power station and go to a renewable energy power plant. Mm. We know that's not the case, especially mm. after infrastructure um, development yeah. um, has taken place. So that most of the jobs are going to take place in terms of manufacturing right. and, and other forms of economic diversification, but the biggest one being manufacturing. Mm. And I think mm. we're not paying enough attention to right. that. Right, right. And I guess another one as well for, I mean, you've got, you represent um, a lot of mine workers too. Yeah. And there is the supply chain for, for renewables and batteries, which South Africa, I think there's some, sometimes it's like people think, okay, you're a coal miner, so you're going to start doing wind turbines. But maybe a better fit is if you're a coal miner, you're going to go mine, um, you know, critical minerals and stuff mm. that's required for batteries, because yeah. that's perhaps a better fit for those skills too. Absolutely. Mm. But again, it seems like our industrial policy, and, and I'm not surprised, mm. um, if you look at the budget itself mm. and how much money it puts to the side for, 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 for industrialization or industrial projects, mm. Um, I mean, it's been decreasing over the years. So clearly there is a mismatch in terms of aspirations communicated and mm. our commitment in actual rents and cents. Yeah, which seems like a massive missed opportunity. Mm. We have a dual crisis in South Africa. You've got the climate crisis and you've got a massive economic, social crisis. And I think we need transformation from both the climate front and from the economic front and if we could put those together, this could be the engine for industrial growth and job creation and transforming our economy. And instead, we're just sleeping, right? Primarily because our government feels that because they think they don't have the requisite pennies in mm. the kitty yeah. and they say that they are so resource constrained and they are mm. trying to manage their debt, yeah. they render themselves useless in the process. Right. And then they export everything to mm -hmm. the private sector an uncoordinated, yeah. unorganized private sector mm. who we know what the market failures are going to be right. there. I mean, yeah. th this is not philanthropy. They don't do things because they like us, mm -hmm. right? It's for profit. Yeah. So it's it's because of that that there isn't a coordinated way forward in terms of this. Other countries have made use of their fiscal policy, mm -hmm. joined together with their monetary policy, and leverage private sector to yeah. drive their industrial policy, right? The mm -hmm. Chinese do this very well. Yeah. We then think we export everything to the private sector, and the private sector will give us the result that we want. Yeah. Which is not going to happen. Not. I mean, what we have is, I think someone is calling it a disorderly market-driven transition rather than a just transition. Mm -hmm. um, and that point you make also speaks to the the fifth 
of the top five demands of, of Kasati's Just Transition Blueprint, which is about ending austerity for a climate-just macroeconomic framework. Now, that, that term, climate-just macroeconomic <laughs> framework, is perhaps more economic language. Could you maybe yeah. break that yeah. down? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what we're saying there is that climate finance or a just transition, let me just break it down. A just transition is going to cost a lot of money. And yeah. we know that. We're alive to the fact. We're mm. talking about reorganizing our industries. Mm. Um, and these are industries that have been the way they are for hundreds of years, right? Mm. So we're looking at resetting our industries. But this is not going to work solely from private investment and donor funding, right? Mm. For it to be coordinated and for it to achieve our developmental goals, like what we would want, Mm. you need a fiscal policy that is alive to that fact. So when Mm. we say you end austerity, you have to stop cutting social benefits and social spending. So Mm. something, for example, like introducing a basic income grant, right? Mm. We envisage this as being a very important and key policy area for a just transition because let's face it, there are people in the transition who still won't be able to find jobs. Maybe because the skills that they have are not the skills that are required or Mm. they need time to acquire those skills. But you can't leave that person behind because they Mm. don't have the skills right there and right Right. there. So that's the type of person you need to support Mm. through a basic income grant. And that's Mm. where fiscal policy comes into into play. But if you're implementing austerity, there's no way we can get Mm. that type of social spending. I mean, you can already see the current attitude um, that that Treasury has. And some members in our government, disappointingly enough, have the similar Mm. attitude towards the implementation of a basic income grant because they don't see it at play in terms of the economy and climate issues coming together. Mm. Yeah, and I think particularly when we're talking about just transition, one of the taglines that people like to throw around is leave no one behind, right? (laughs) And the bottom line is that in the current South African economy, we are leaving millions and millions of people behind. And I think this is where a universal basic income grant is a tool that can recognize the fact that people are falling through the cracks everywhere. And so just a basic social safety net that can pick people up would not only help with our current dystopian reality, it would Mm. also help with the fact that as we transition, more people may fall through those cracks Mm. because Mm. we're just not doing a good job of planning out a proper just transition, right? We've been talking to people in the private sector Mm. uh, because we also want them to make use of their investment decisions to drive certain elements of the just transition. We won't get everything from the private sector, but we'll take what we can get. One of the things that somebody said in in that meeting is that, aren't you guys creating another BEE scheme where a few black people benefit. Mm. Through, um, through and the basic income grant? No, not through oh, the basic okay. income grant, through, okay. you know, some of these climate and uh, just transition initiatives that we're seeking uh, to create. I'm like, aren't you guys creating another BEE huh. where a few people who say the right things, you know, yeah. uh, will be able to plug projects here and there, and then you leave everybody, you mm. know, uh, to fall through the cracks again. Mm. And, and, and that really resonated with me to say, mm. we may be paying too much lip service to this idea that no one is going to fall behind because Mm. in the way in which currently the transition is manifesting itself in South Africa we've started it quite wrong actually and it does look like if we carry on in this trajectory we're not going to be able to benefit a lot Mm. of people we may have some golden projects here and there but we might we might still find ourselves in the same position in Mm. the next 20 to 30 years time right yeah so 
And I think it's really important that we're investing in that social safety net. We're investing in robust just transition measures. The question that often comes up, particularly when we're talking about ending austerity, is mm. how are you going to pay for it, right? <laughs> um, and now there's there's different ways of paying for it that are being discussed. The president announced his big just energy transition uh, investment plan last mm. year, a 1.5 trillion investment plan, which is predominantly about bringing in you know foreign capital and private yeah. capital and so on. But then Kusatu in its um, in its policy document is talking about progressive taxation, mm. such as wealth taxes, taxes on environmentally harmful activities, mm. resource rent taxes. Um, so when you're thinking about what it means to actually pay for a truly just transition, mm. maybe firstly, what's your take on the Jet IP, and why would something like a progressive taxation framework be preferable? Mm. Um. Okay, so the Jet IP. I mean, I'm not surprised that the plan is not enjoying as much public support mm. as what it currently and j- is. And just a reminder that the JET IP is that Just Energy yes, Transition trans- Investment Plan, the one I was just referring to. <laughs> Sorry, there's so many acronyms. Sorry, in this in this space as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah. many acronyms. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not surprised that, you know, this this plan is, is receiving the type of response that is receiving in society. Mm. If we look at the process... Which is quite of, critical. Very very critical, yeah. very, very critical of it. If we look at the process of how, you know, the plan was developed, I mean, we're a country that thrives on dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. We're a country, maybe we thrive on it a bit too much. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good because of the history that we have in this mm-hmm. country and because we're such a diverse mm-hmm. um, country where there are a number of different groupings. And you have to take all of these groupings into account when yeah. you have these types of deliberations. Because to be quite honest, the Jet IP really changes the dial on how we've thought of climate finance, whether mm-hmm. we like it or not, right? right. So w- regardless of what the experience has been here in South Africa, this mm-hmm. is going to be the model for climate finance for the rest of the developing world. Mm-hmm. So, so, so they're discussing a, it in Vietnam. Yeah, in Vietnam. In I know Senegal as well, mm-hmm. India. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, so the manner in which it's manifested itself here in South Africa is really something to be really concerned about, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not surprised that at the end of it, yeah. we have this final product that everybody is critical of. Yeah. Somebody said in, in a previous meeting that the JIP is nothing other than than, you know, a green infrastructure deal. Yeah. Can you maybe say a little bit more about what are some of the concerns that yeah. you're seeing around the yeah. JIP? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we look at, when we look at justice mm-hmm. and we're saying we're leaving nobody behind, yeah. but, we leave, but we allocate less than 1% mm. of the finances yeah. of the JIP to skills development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a huge red flag <laughs> to yeah. say, if if you have no interest, because less than one percent, I mean, if that's a KPI, yeah, you have no interest mm-hmm. in developing skills. Right. So my question is, for all these big elaborate plans that you want to see happening here, uh-huh. who's going to have the skills to be able to take advantage of the opportunities to work in those sectors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so for me, that's a huge problem. And if you had the voices of anybody that works in the trade union, they would yeah. have told you that that's, that's not sufficient. When you look at how much is, 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 is then dedicated towards, um, economic diversification, because right. let's, let's be honest, the, the Mpumalanga region, yeah. right, is heavily dependent on the activities of coal. Mm. 
But they can be something else, mm. and they can be something else through economic right. um, diversification. Um, and when you look at the fact that the plan doesn't even apportion five mm. percent right. to economic diversification, particularly for that region, yeah. is very concerning. Mm. So a lot of it is around green infrastructure, right? right? right. So that all these various IPPs and all these various private sector operations mm -hmm. can be able to connect to the grid a bit more easily. So that's right. why there's a feeling in the trade union movement yeah. that this is just a green infrastructure plan. Right. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, particularly as you mentioned, the role of IPPs or independent power producers, which is typically, historically for South Africa, it's been you know big private sector players mm -hmm. that have come in. And when you speak about putting kind of money where the justice is, one of the elements there in the JET IP was the supposed money to pilot socially owned renewable energy versus privatized. And I was looking at the numbers and I think 0.01% of the funding is towards piloting socially owned renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And this is against the backdrop of, you know, President Ramaphosa lifting limits on energy so that the private sector can come in. It's about providing tax incentives to individuals. Mm -hmm. So there's this massive push towards privatization here that you see. And I, I may be curious to, to hear, I mean, I think Kasatu's thoughts is going to be pretty unhappy <laughs> about that trial. <laughs> but maybe there's something more you want to say about that. Yeah. I mean, it's concerning, mm. right? Um, especially when you look at the fact that, especially in terms of electricity generation yeah. and, and, and who generates electricity, for the longest time, this was ESCOM's domain, right? Yeah. And they had a development agenda right. linked to this. Mm. The fact of the matter is that there are communities who, you know, I heard this in the, I heard in the budget speech, um, the, the minister of finance talking about a culture of non-payment. Mm. There isn't a n culture of non-payment. There's a culture of not having employment and right. not having enough money to mm -hmm. buy the electricity. So that's actually what's going on. So we've completely misdiagnosed that. So yeah. my, it seems my, like victim blaming to me that. Absolutely. It's like the cost of electricity has skyrocketed. So people can't afford it. And then you blame it on the people who can't afford it. And the reason why it skyrocketed is not because of non-payment, but because of corruption. And, and cost oh, overruns on Mudupi yeah. and Kusile, right? Which are much higher than municipal debt. Right? E exactly. Yeah. And now, we're, we're now we're terming in a culture of non-payment. Mm. Uh, for me, I think it's a complete detachment from what's going on in mm -hmm. our communities. Um, when you look at the, the grants that are being paid to, 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 to the old age pension, when you look at the child grant, mm. and now you need to factor in paying ESCOM on top of an 18.6 tariff increase. Yeah. There isn't a culture of non-payment. It's just an unaffordability crisis. Yeah. That's that's ex that's what's currently happening. We don't want to look at increasing, you know, the threshold for indigent households to 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 receive um, free electricity. And these are right. the things, by the way, we don't even mention in the JW. Yeah. And speaking of a culture of non-payment, there was an analysis that was done that shows that the government is failing to actually dish out the money for the free basic electricity yeah. loan. So that's something that's not being paid, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, just the, the extent with which this government blames poor people for the predicament they're putting them in is just, it's astounding. Um, I, again, it's <laughs> your detachment from the real issues mm -hmm. on the ground. Yeah. The fact that you, you completely misdiagnose it like yeah. that. I mean, you have, you dedicate an entire budget speech to yeah. a misdiagnosis of what's actually happening on the ground. Yeah. 
And it's against this backdrop that I think um, one of your top other top five demands is really important, which is land redistribution. Let me try to connect some dots here, because when we think about the privatization of mm-hmm. renewable energy, right, who can afford to invest in renewable energy? The things that you need predominantly is capital, mm-hmm. wealth, and land, right? Yes. And these are two things that are concentrated in the hands of the minority in South mm-hmm. Africa. And so for you and Kasatu, you know, most people don't maybe connect climate change and a just transition, but that's one of your top five just transition demands is mm. land redistribution. Mm. Could you maybe speak a little bit to the importance of that? You've already touched on it, right? Yeah. So in the in the renewable um, independent, the the, re, the RAIPP program. Mm. So this is the private sector yeah, renewable the, energy the, the, program for the government. Yeah. Let's say we didn't have a problem with it, right? Yeah. Let's say it didn't bother us. Yeah. Um, but like you said, um, the people who'd be able to participate in this is the extremely wealthy, which mm. in our society is a very small percentage of people. Mm. If we had land and mm. we had it distributed more equitably, mm. I think we we would have been comforted by the fact that you know these 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 private sector um these private sector entities would have to put their solar or wind farms on top of somebody's land mm-hmm. right? right so if that were to happen on your land at least you would benefit right. through that process and that's mm-hmm. where the land redistribution thing is 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 yeah. where we we're keen to 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 really see this program happen because yeah. you know if you are land insecure you can't even participate like in programs that are that could potentially be progressive for yeah. society because mm. at the at the at the basis of it all you are landless mm. so you can't even participate right yeah. so let's say you know the 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 program or the REIPP program weren't we weren't having a problem with it we would be comforted by the fact that people have land and these private sector you know plants would have to find somebody mm. who they would compensate for the use of their land lease right. their land for like 99 mm-hmm. years or whatever the case is but right. that would be money in their hands of, 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 of our communities. But at that level, things are not even happening. That's right. why at its, at, at its core, land redistribution, we felt right. was an important part of a just transition. Right. And I think this is it. Like if you leave the transition up to the market, it will just replicate the inequalities that yeah. exist, right? Absolutely. And so this is where a just transition has to be about that radical transformation mm. you're talking about. And maybe the, I mean, there's two sides of why land redistribution is important for the climate change. One is what we've been talking about now, but there's also is the question of climate vulnerability, yeah. right? Because who's pushed to the margins and the land that's most yeah. vulnerable to climate change? Yeah. It's yeah. those that have been dispossessed of Absolutely. their land. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You must relocate to some other place. Mm. Now, can you imagine being landless mm. and having to relocate to somebody else and to be on somebody's property and having to pay rentals that are ridiculous for the rest of your life, being yeah. dispossessed from the little bit of land that you did have? Mm. I mean, it's catastrophic. So yeah. as an adaptation sort of mechanism, land reduction, Distribution is important, but again, you know, when we look at when we look at you know agricultural activities in mm. the transition, right. I think land redistribution is going to be key. Yeah. Agriculture can't take place in these sort of like mega commercialized mm-hmm. forms, right. right? It has to go back to small farmers and small holdings. Mm. And, you know, there are studies that prove that when, when we do agriculture in this way and we right. equip the, 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 the farmers with the requisite financing and the requisite technology, right. it does reduce our carbon footprint. Mm. 
but it doesn't take away from the fact that we're able to produce sufficient amounts of food. So people think that when you say small holdings, you are threatening food security. You're mm-hmm. not increasing it. You're actually increasing it mm-hmm. because you are putting you you are you are establishing a lot more farmers than mm-hmm. what is the case right now. We have a few. Right. Who just do it on a mega scale. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it on that scale, I mean, you have to do as much as possible. Right. And that's how you increase your carbon footprint. But mm-hmm. when we actually break it down yeah. and we have as many farmers as possible and we, we assist you through technological advancement, so, you're able to reduce your carbon footprint. Right. Yeah. One of the, the dreams I have is that one day the, the government will wake up and they will do <laughs> land redistribution coupled with uh, community-owned <laughs> solar installations or what they're calling agrovoltaics, where you can combine solar and wind with your actual agriculture. In fact, the solar can help protect some of your crops, right? And you can also imagine that providing income to help farmers, often through sometimes difficult times as they go through drought. So imagine you can have land redistribution with renewable energy inputs that provide some resilience. I mean, but when we're thinking about the sort of austerity mindset, that's mm, awful. It's terrible. never going to happen. Yeah. It's never going to happen if the fiscus doesn't play its part. Mm. This transition is not up to the markets. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think there is an adequate appreciation for that. Mm. That if we're going to get the transition right, the fiscus must play its role. Yeah. There is no market that's mm-hmm. going to go and fund a bunch of black women yeah. to set up a solar farm. Yeah. It's never going to happen. They're high risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where do they get capital from? Mm-hmm. It's, it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. These are the things that require the participation of the fiscus. Yeah. Here's my problem with what's happening. Mm-hmm. The IDC is not looking at that, and right? It's Industrial Development Corporation. The Industrial Development Corporation, <laughs> yeah. sorry. No worries. They're not looking in the direction of how, how, do, we, how do we finance a cooperative of young people, people mm-hmm. who've never had credit in their lives, right? right? Yeah, yeah. They don't look at, they, they don't even want to look at that, right? Yeah. They're too high risk. Mm. They're going to use IDC money, yeah. which is our money. Yeah. IDC money to go and fund private companies, right? which for me is an issue because honestly, the private sector can leverage finances through the banks. Mm. And so this kind of brings me to a point. It seems like what we have now is the public funds that we have Mm. are subsidizing the private sector to drive this transition instead of public funds funding a public transition and the sort of transition to sort of eco-socialism that Kasatu is talking about and that many others are pushing forward as well, right? And so I guess this brings me to the point is that we know that those solutions are out there. Mm. We know we need to push for them. So how do we build a movement that's powerful to make the changes that are needed. And maybe what do you see as Kusatu's role within that? Uh, maybe mm. some of the challenges that, that come ahead. Um. So what you're doing now mm. to make some of these concepts, I think, easily accessible, mm. easily understandable, right? So when we say eco-socialism, because we put socialism there, yeah. <laughs> people run away from what we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But maybe after listening to this podcast, they can actually realize that what we're talking about is not far from what people want mm. in this society, a more right. equitable society, mm. more fair society, a more just society, right. and using our transition to a low carbon economy to get us there, right? right? As yeah. simple as possible, this is what we want. Mm. We recognize that the current system has reproduced these inequities, they've reproduced these social ills, and we want a better society for our kids, we want a better society for our grandkids. Mm. 
um, we need to dispel the notions that capitalism is good for us, right? Yes. We, yes. we need to dispel these notions because, you know, the way in which it's, it's, it's unfolded in South Africa, it hasn't been good for us. Mm. We need to dispel the notion that the current mineral energies complex in South Africa has done a great deal for us. Okay, mm. people will say the commodities boom, however, is keeping us above water. Mm. Yes, it's keeping us above water, but can you imagine what we could do if we drastically change the structure of our economy? Mm. We and could be doing better than just above water. Yeah, and it's keeping some people above water, but yeah, many, yeah, many true. are drowning. Especially yeah. the ones that get 300 million rand in bonuses a year <laughs> while they refuse to give <laughs> their workers a thousand rand increase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a really important reflection. Um, and I guess the, there's a tricky question for Kasatu in all of this, right? Um, and I'm sure you get it a lot, is mm. that, you know, Kasatu's in the tripartite alliance still. Yeah. And so they're working technically with the ANC, albeit in a very tense yeah. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how does Kasatu maneuver through this? And, mm. uh, you know, feel free to just step away from this question <laughs> if, it's, uh, if it's red territory. But uh, if you feel like uh, diving in. <laughs> This is such a this is this is such a this is such a hectic question to mm. answer because I don't want to downplay the reasons why Kosatu initially found itself in an alliance um with the ANC. Yeah. You know, this was an alliance that was forged in struggle, mm. in common purpose and in yeah. common struggle. Right. So I don't want to downplay that history. Mm. It's an important history that, you know, we need to reflect on. Yeah. Have things been good of recent years? No, they have not. Mm. Um, that's why now the buzz phrases the reconfiguration of the alliance. What that yeah. looks like, I'm not too sure what it looks yeah. like for the future. Um, but there definitely have been lessons that have been learned. You know, alliances are tricky because you come into an alliance because you have particular common benefits. Mm. Mm -hmm. or you have particular things that you think you can share a common interest in right. and you achieve this through the formation of an alliance. Has it worked good in the previous years? Mm -hmm. I can't I can't I can't say that it has. Yeah. It's been it's been a very difficult it's been a very difficult thing of late. I mean, if you look at the public sector wage yeah. debacle that's currently unfolded, it shows you the state mm. of the alliance. If you want to know what the alliance is looking like, yeah. look at what's happening in the public uh, sector. I, I was at the public sector um, union uh, march in Pretoria last year in Shwane, and I mean, I watched workers throw bottles at yeah. the ANC. There yeah. is tension and there there's is anger huge, in that alliance. There's, there's huge anger. Mm. There, is, there, is, there is huge um, tensions. Mm. Does the alliance look the way that it looks for the future? I don't know. Yeah. Kosatu is a mass democratic movement that mm -hmm. must be subjected to its own decision making processes. Whether they feel this is good for them, mm -hmm. the democratic processes will be able to determine that. So yeah. As yeah. as wishy washy an answer as it is, it helps me keep my day job. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Okay. Well, maybe we can turn to thinking about different kinds of alliances then. True. Because I think, as you said, the tripartite alliance was born out of a very important moment mm. in struggle. Mm. But I think what we face now is a very different, different. moment. And yeah. we do have these intersecting transformation imperatives of climate change, of economic inequality, and so on. And so I think part of our work is to forge new alliances yeah. that can build power strong enough to topple what I like to think of as like a form of economic and ecological mm. apartheid that mm. continues to persist in our society, right? 
And so, yeah, I, I guess Kasatu can hopefully play a role mm, in mm. helping forge those new alliances. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think people yeah. think that because we're in a particular alliance now, when you mm. think about new alliances, you mm. know, it's it's not a good thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. This is how social movements are built. You yeah. identify one common thing that you share as a burning issue for mm. yourselves and you mobilize the rest of society around that. Yeah. And that's how you proceed. Mm. Whether the ANC still plays a role in that, we don't know. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> but mm. I think definitely there is a role for Kosatu and other progressive members of society to play. Mm. Speaking of that role, so maybe we can start bringing this to a wrap. When we think about how people could get involved, how would you encourage them to sort of put their shoulders to the wheel of climate justice? And maybe are there any opportunities from Kusatu or ways that you guys are organizing that you want to let the, mm. the audience know about in terms of helping, you know, put the shoulder to the wheel of change? I mean, the one thing that we've done that really has made us relevant within the movement is mm. how do we tie these issues that we're talking about and how do we make them personal for the average worker? Yeah. So when we talk about when we're doing climate justice, I mean, it was easy to kind of make the ties, right? Yeah. And now you're talking about a just transition. How do you make the ties? Because workers now, when they hear just transition, it's mm. like you're saying they, they must be out of a job, mm-hmm. especially when you're speaking to the ones in the, in the, in the mining and energy right. sector. So, so now it's about what are the opportunities for workers? Yeah. But we're disaggregating it as well because, you know, workers are not a homogenous group, right? Mm. What are the opportunities for women in the transition? Right. Mining and energy is a very masculine industry, mm-hmm. right? And the higher up in terms of levels that you go, you virtually find no women. Mm. So what are the opportunities now? We're talking about new sectors. Yeah. How do we make sure that in the creation of those sectors, we don't have the kind of gender equalities that currently mm-hmm. persist in the relevant in the various sectors? So mm-hmm. what is the role of women in the transition? And how do we get the best bet for women in the mm-hmm. transition? Yeah. What is the role of youth? Right. And how do we break this culture of having such high and toxic levels? Mm. of youth unemployment right. and what role do young people play in the transition i think those are the those are the ways in which we're building a groundswell mm. yeah. of activism around right. a just transition so it's mm. not perceived as this concept where we're looking for energy workers to lose out on their jobs yeah. but we're actually saying to society here's an opportunity for the creation of new sectors and right. we believe this is a part that you can play mm-hmm. but not in the traditional sense that you've been used right. to how do we remove inequities and inequalities so that we can equitably participate in these sectors. Mm, I love that. And I think it speaks to the importance of that positive vision of of radical transformation because so often when we talk about climate change, and I think the big polluting industries love it when we talk about, oh, the sacrifice or the impacts or it's going to have this and that. But actually, this is an opportunity for creating a very different, better, more just world if we can grasp it properly. The world that we want. Yeah. Because we've been subjected to a world that somebody else wanted for however long. Mm. Now we get to design the world that we want. Yeah. And I love that you bring youth and, and women into this because it is about, I think, a new generation stepping up and, and sort of their own generational mm. mission is this deep transformation that's required. Um, and so I, I think this is this is something that could provide a rallying point if we do it right. Yeah. If we do it right. Yeah. Look out for our policy documents. We're going to be releasing training manuals for how to mobilize women mm. and youth around Fantastic. the just transition. 
Yeah, and and thank you for the work that you are doing in mobilizing people and bringing them into the space. I'm very excited about the, the role that you're playing and that Kasach is um, moving into in terms of helping us envision this future. And thank you also for joining us on this podcast. It's been a real pleasure having thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you for listening to Just Us and the Climate, a production by the Climate Justice Coalition. To find out more about the coalition and their work to promote climate justice, visit climatejusticecoalition.org. This podcast is made possible thanks to the financial support of the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.